Hello, this is Minnie Ingersoll, and welcome to Becoming a VC. This will be a very informal conversation about my new job as a venture capitalist. For the past five years, I've been mostly on the other side of the table, trying to ask VCs to give me money for my own startup shift. Prior to shift, I was a product manager at Google and COO at Code for America. I found the venture capital world intimidating and hard to navigate, but we marched up and down Sand Hill Road and managed to raise $100 million for shift. We are recording this podcast every other week and talking about what it's like inside venture capital. This is the first episode. Anya and I are a little nervous and awkward at first, but then we warm up and talk about the experience I had showing up in LA and starting to interview or just get meetings with some of the bigger funds in town. Hey, Minnie. Good morning. Hey, thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me. We're talking today about your new role. Yeah. As a VC. That's right. I'm still not totally comfortable with it. I've been telling people, oh, I'm an investor. Oh. Yeah, I'm still warming up to calling it a VC. Um, yeah, I'm not sure how I got here. It's like uh, it's like a lot of my life. It's sort of all opportunistically seemed like the exciting next step in my career. And, uh, and the more I sort of got real thinking about it, the more it seemed like a good fit. So we know each other because you were the COO at Shift. And, yep. uh, and you hired me. Yep. Um, and so before that, you were Google. Yep. What, um, and all operating roles. Well, so I became, um, recently I joined 10110. We had an early stage investment, uh, VC, <laughs> uh, and actually doing early stage investing has a, a lot of similarities to being an operator at a startup, uh, you know, in the early stages, you're, you're doing a lot more, um, rolling up your sleeves and actually helping teams get their business going than you are say, um, at the later stages where you might be really looking at spreadsheets and making business models. So, you know, it didn't, it doesn't feel like, uh, it doesn't feel like a drastic change so much from starting shift, for instance, it feels different, but, but, you know, uh, to some degree also our, we're a small fund. And so we kind of feel like a startup VC fund. Right. So there's a lot of, um, I don't know what I should be doing with my time every day. Talking to you is probably, um, <laughs> high on my list, obviously, but you know, I don't know how to spend my time to have the highest effect, which is kind of like what you're doing at a startup all day long is just trying to figure out how do I spend my time to have the highest impact. Right. And so you're saying when you invest in a company, you'll, you'll help them. Yeah, we'll help them. We will. We, we don't want to be strictly transactional VCs. Um, but also a lot of, here's the other similarity. A lot of what I did at shift and what I think most entrepreneurs do once they're scaling a business is interviewing people is hiring great team. So I hired you. I spent a lot of time trying to convince you to join shift, but also just sourcing the best talent and meeting with, um, potential founders who we might invest in feels a lot like hiring. Actually, there's a lot of, I'm trying to understand the idea, but I'm also trying to understand who they are and whether I think they're going to knock it out of the park in this role. So, so there's a lot of that to my role that feels similar. 
And so what are the things that you look for? Yeah, I mean, it's become kind of cliched. Everyone says, we invest in great teams. And you're like, oh, I've heard that a million times. Um, the, the most concrete things, I would say, is the person needs to be able to sell a vision because they need to sell it to me. They're going to need to sell it to future investors. They're going to need to sell it to the team they hire. Um, and they're going to be able to sell it to customers. So, so there's an ability to to paint a vision and sell a vision. And then I think that like, we all call it grit now, but we used to call it stubbornness and, um, and sort of figuring out like, you know, if your goal is to, um, solve like fetal mortality because you lost a baby, you're going to be freaking dedicated to it because it's like hit so close to home versus like, I'm working on this thing that because I wrote a business model in business school and it seemed like a good plan. So kind of understanding that like you're committing to this and you and I know that like there's some ups and downs to being in a startup. So I really want to know that, that this person's going to stick with it and like knock down walls to make it happen. So you originally went down to, cause you were moving to LA yeah. and you originally, um, decided, okay, I'm going to move to LA and I'm looking for a job. Yes. And then the next same time we talk, you're like, Hey, and by the way, I'm a VC. <laughs> so from like, Hey, I'm moving to LA, finding an operating role to a VC. Like, yeah. How, how did that happen? Well, there's a couple things. So uh, one thing is I actually think that I've, uh, I've considered being a VC, but I think I've been a little nervous to like admit that I am interested or something like there's, there's some awkwardness and sort of foolishness, I guess, about feeling embarrassed or nervous to like walk into a VC and say, hi, my name's Minnie. I'd like to be a partner here. <laughs> and it feels presumptuous, I guess, yeah. is what it feels like. Yeah. Um, but I think I've had that as a bit of a desire, but I've been like a little nervous to really admit it. To like come out. Um, and you saw, I was just doing this mentoring session with someone and I often tell people like, you have to be able to tell someone where you want to be and people will help you get there if you tell them like, this is where I want to get to. So I think there was an aspect of that, which is I actually was quite interested in being a VC. Um, but one, I hadn't really admitted to, I really had no idea what that entailed or whether, whether any of my background would actually be useful to being a good, um, mm -hmm. investor. So, so I wasn't sure about that. And I did, as you say, I walked into a lot of the VC, the, the funds in LA and said, you know, hi, I'm new in town. I'm potentially looking to join like one of your portfolio companies. Um, and it was really one, it started with one conversation, one of the first conversations I had and the person I met, this is Brian Garrett at Crosscut. And he said, you could come to one of our Monday partner meetings. Um, and I was like, oh my gosh, that sounds fantastic. But you know, I'm not really, can I? I mean, that was, that was what I said. I said, really, are you sure? Uh, and he's like, yeah, you can come. And I was like, Ooh, wow. Um, well, I, I promise I won't say anything. Like I promise I will, I'll just, I'll just show up and I'll just sit in the back. And he's like, no, the reason I'm inviting you is because it'd be interesting for us to hear your perspective on companies that are coming. So we'd actually like to hear what your thoughts are if you come. And my next reaction was, Oh crap. Like, uh, that sounds really nerve wracking to like show up. I've never been in and sat on that side of the table and to show up to someone else's partner meeting and then to have an entrepreneur pitch and then have everyone look at me and be like, what's your opinion? Sounded really stressful. And so I was like, Oh no, I just said, I do this. And I was, oh, what am I going to do? So I showed up at their Monday partner meeting and someone pitched and I like couldn't wait for her to be done. Cause I had so many opinions, <laughs> which makes sense. Like, you know me, like, yeah. I have tons of opinions. 
opinions. I have lots of thoughts. Yeah. But um, I was really nervous that I, like, would have no opinions. But. And th- were those opinions different than what you think the conversation would have been in that partner meeting otherwise? Not necessarily. But, like, it, it turned out that... It turns out that if you've been around for a while, like, you've seen different things and you actually um, have a lot of applicable experience. So the first pitch I went to was... um, it was sort of an online marketplace for homes. Now we've just built an online marketplace for cars. It turns out there's a lot of similarities and Mm -hmm. there's a lot of thinking about, you know, which side of the marketplace do you focus on? Um, Do you need to help the, um, in marketplaces, you talk about centralized marketplaces and decentralized marketplaces. So like, do you as a centralized marketplace help price the home or do you put that on the seller of the home to price their home? So there was, I mean, it turns out like I had a lot of opinions on that. And like the next pitch I saw, uh, like a week later, you know, uh, had something to do with cars and it wasn't exactly what we've been doing with cars, but it was like almost like a CPO for a certified pre-owned for cars. So I had a ton of opinions about that. So it turns out that you build up, you know, you build up more opinions about more things just by virtue of being around for a while. And so that goes, so that was how you gained confidence that your uh, prior experience was relevant to VCs, like going to these partner meetings? Um, there was some of that. Uh, so I was still thinking, okay, I'm not sure what I want to do. Maybe I'd be an operator. And so a lot of what I was doing in LA, cause I was spending time in LA trying to get to, the, to know the LA scene is I was going around meeting with founders of early stage companies mm-hmm. and going around and meeting with founders of early stage companies, a lot of times for the VCs that I was also sort of in parallel interviewing with, it was really serving both purposes. It was a, would I jump in and join this, um, this startup? Or would I join this VC? And so some of what I was doing is then going back to the fund and saying, hey, I met with XYZ founder. Here's my take on where they are in their business, what they're doing, what they should be focusing on, or just how I can help. And so that's a very similar process, whether you're interviewing at the company or interviewing with the fund, mm. you're kind of doing the same thing. And actually it was giving me more confidence that I actually have more confidence that I have something I can add to early stage entrepreneurs, but I didn't have that confidence until I actually spoke to 15 of them or 20 of them. And then was like, Oh, you know, there is some value I can bring here. What, what did you see as like the differences? Cause all of these were in LA. You've never really met with founders in LA or yeah. VCs in LA. What, what did you see as like differences from your experience in San Francisco? Um, well, LA has this reputation, which I think is fair, which is that they tend to have more revenues than San Francisco. And that is sort of a historical thing, which is LA, uh, hasn't had as much venture funding. And so people have built businesses that have profits because they've had to be more self-sustaining. Um, so definitely I saw that and I kept being impressed by people's revenues. Um, but the, the, the flip side of that is LA also has the reputation of not being as like crazy shoot for the stars, big dreamers. We're going to build, it's not a billion dollar company. I'm going to build, I'm going to build a $10 billion, hundred billion dollar company. Um, and some of that is like, there's sort of flip sides of the same coin, which is if you're having to bootstrap, you're thinking practically about where do I need to be, you know, six months from now, you're not thinking about what am I going to like revolutionize the whole agriculture business, like the whole system, like, like it's never been done before. So, um, 
so I think that 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 sort of thing I guess I saw a lot with entrepreneurs and so is that driven by like the VCs being more focused on revenue or it's just the type of entrepreneur that starts in LA I think historically it's been that there has been less venture capital to fund LA startups Mm. and so if you're given a check for 20 million dollars you can then and let's say it's you and four other people well a team of five and 20 million dollars have some of the luxury of like dreaming big and if you're a team of five people and you're given a check for 250k you're kind of like okay so we're going to get profitable in six months like, right. and then we're going to be able to pay our salary so um, so I think that's been a function of things and hopefully well, I mean, hopefully you can get the best of both worlds, right? Um, one of the things that was very apparent and is very true is that the LA scene is growing. And that was the other thing I got very excited about. It's just always fun to be part of something that's growing. And so the whole ecosystem is really growing right now. So all of the funds are raising their next fund, let's say, that's going to be larger than their previous fund. I mean, maybe not every single fund, but for the most part, the the funds are all really growing because the LPs are seeing the potential of LP of of, of LA right now. Mm. So, how did you like meet? Like we say, funds. Like, how do you like go about meeting a venture capital fund in LA? Yeah, well, there's a few things going on. So one, I mean, one practical answer is there's this guy, Todd Gitlin, who you may remember, we hired him at Shift. He hired Henry, yeah, um, who was our LA GM. Um, anyways, Todd Gitlin runs all executive recruiting in LA for, for startups, he, like 95% of it. Um, and so Todd, I met with Todd early on, and he introduced me to everybody. And so, I mean, one way I got to know everybody was because Todd introduced me to everybody. So that was very nice of him. Um, also, uh, I think right now I, I often say I've had sort of an opportunistic career, but opportunistically and busting my ass at times too. Um, I do have a lot of these sort of resume skills, like on paper, it is very much what a lot of the funds are interested in seeing. Mm. So having some of the San Francisco DNA is actually very appealing to LA because they're trying to like learn what's been, what's worked best in San Francisco. Um, I've started a company, so I have a lot of like knowledge. I have some, some of the, the, the knowledge as well as the wounds or whatever. Yeah. I have some scars, scars. the scars. That's what I was going for. The wounds. (laughs) That would make it sound like they're just open wounds still. (laughs) Um, no, they're scars, they're scars, but, but also some of the knowledge of just going through that process. Um, so, you know, been a founder, have a lot of Google, like just had built, I'm very networked in San Francisco. Um, and so, so bringing all of that to LA, um, I also think there's a real trend of bringing diversity into funds. And so having more women around the table and sort of the, the community of women in LA was extremely welcoming. So all of those things I think opened a lot of doors in addition to Todd Gitlin, <laughs> both, both open doors. So tell me more about like being a woman VC. Cause I, you know, as a woman myself, there, there's a lot of talk in the Bay Area around making sure that there's roles for women in tech and just, um, you know, a lot of support, I think, that yeah. has trended um, in, in the Bay Area to try to make it work for women and giving them more um, exposure. Do you see that in LA as well? Uh, yeah, I do. Um, and, and I think I really feel that things have changed in the past couple of years, just like just the massive rallying of community and hands outstretched and people willing to help and people, 
at least just sort of aware, even if they, you know, they're just aware of the issue and being much more thoughtful about things. Um, so, so that's just been so heartwarming. Um, and, uh, and I, I think I told you this woman, Dana Settle, she's the co-founder of Greycroft, uh, one of the, the biggest funds in LA. And she said like, Minnie, do you want to have a regular meeting with me? I was like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. But now I'm nervous. Cause like, can I use her time? Well, but like just people saying like, Hey, how can I be really helpful as you make this transition has been really fantastic. Um, if you, I, I could get on my soapbox a little bit about like women in whatever, in business in general, in the Valley here in San Francisco. Um, one of my big things is that I think people have done the easy stuff, but some of the hard stuff is how do decisions get made? Um, and I think that still a lot of decisions get made through a process that's like, arguing almost. I don't know. Like it's sort of by pounding the table is still a way that, that you get resources for your project. There's still an aspect of, um, whether it's getting funding or getting resourced, you know, like at a place like Google, like you have to fight for your engineers to some degree. And so fighting for your engineers and then sort of banging the table for getting what you need, um, is a hard thing to change. I don't have an easy answer, but like if the way that we decide who gets funding is you go to the Monday partner meeting, you have an hour in front of 25 sort of intimidating looking white men and you have to argue with them about what, you know, defend your model that forecasts your five-year revenues. Um, you know, that might not be the way that we increase diversity and not just gender diversity, but just, um, you know, that that's so some of those harder like even things. style diversity, style diversity. Yeah. And so what, how do you think you can play a role in changing that? Mm. Well, I, I, I know for myself, like my own interactions with other women, and I'll focus on women, but I actually think the problem is way more about like socioeconomic diversity, um, racial diversity, which those two often go hand in hand. I mean, I, I'm always hesitant to talk about this because I feel so white and privileged um, because I am. I'm extremely white and privileged. Uh, I know that. So I'll, I'll give you the sort of meeting up front, which is um, one of the, the larger and also more prominent firms in, in L.I., so I met the female partner there, Kara Nortman. I met Greg Batnelli, one of the, the, the men there. And with Kara, I had uh, the most like open, like, Kara, let me tell you, I'm really nervous about making this transition to being an investor. I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I want all the help I can. Like, here's what I've done. Here's what I think I'm not good at. And with Greg, I was like, I'd love to talk about the future of gaming and computer vision. I also think that's very important. And like, and it was not at all about Greg not being open to having a more open conversation, but I do feel like I personally feel more comfortable sometimes. Um, and whether it's, you know, with, with people who are with women or just people who sort of project some different, uh, level of comfort that I feel, I guess it's a level of comfort that I feel. And so I feel like I'm an extremely informal and sort of open person, and I hope that that will um, allow people to sort of engage with me at a slightly more human level, I guess, than sort of a more transactional level. Like board meeting, presentation level. Yes. I, I struggle to be formal even when I am told that I need to be more formal. <laughs> and I've been told that. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so you're not that formal. formal True. But you're... Walk, you're kind of meeting with these 
VCs. Does that did that make you nervous? Yeah, of course. No, I'm nervous always. Like I'm like a silly. Like I'm. It's like I can reflect on it and be like, this is silly. Don't be nervous. <laughs> um, and yet I am. Yeah. Uh, I mean, fundraising for shit. Like one of the things I wrote about in like our first fundraising round was marching up and down Sandhill Road and walking into the offices of Sequoia or Greylock or you know these places. They're not trying to be unfriendly, but I'm just nervous about it. And you know, I went to Harvard Business School. What do they teach you in Harvard Business School? To like act confident even when you're not or be confident um and yet I walk in and feel like a rube mm-hmm. and so if I'm feeling like a rube walking into these places I imagine that there's many other people who are having that same sort of feeling um one thing that that really helped was I ended up getting more confidence that I could get an offer as a venture partner because a venture partner at a lot of these places at pretty low bar and a lot of funds I mean Sorry to all the venture partners out there. I, I didn't mean like that, but I just meant for what what I wanted to do, I felt like I could get a role as a venture partner. And so once I kind of knew that I could get a role as a venture partner at one place, it then gave me a lot more confidence to sort of march into other funds and say, hey, I think I might um, join as venture partner at Fund X. Would you be open to considering that at your fund? Not and 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 not just to like play them off each other, but really as a I didn't feel like it would be responsible to just join the first fund I met without actually getting to know the other funds. Right. Um, and and I didn't want to like do this so exhaustively. I did not meet with everybody in LA. Or I didn't actually talk to all the SF funds about whether they were looking for an investor in LA. But I did then feel a lot more confident, which is just like when you're fundraising as a startup, once you get one term sheet and then, you know, they say, you know, are you going to go shop around the term sheet? And I do think that there's, there's a bit of that, which is, you know, once you kind of have one term sheet, you feel much more confident going and saying like, Hey, um, I want to check out the other funds in town. So I did a little bit of that, but I I think not, not disingenuously. Like I was pretty upfront with everyone what I was No, you're kind of like getting married. Yeah. It's just the bachelorette party before the... You're just going and meeting all the other bachelors? (laughs) You're getting married, but you're going to go meet some other men just in case. (laughs) Maybe that's not the right analogy. (laughs) But it's like a real partnership, right? So you want to make sure that it's the right fit. And so you're not... uh, And technically right now, um, I am a venture partner. So... uh, Although I'm not sure what the website says, but, but technically I'm a venture partner, which, which is really meant as a two way, um, a two way sort of, uh, courtship, if you will, to go back to the bachelor analogy. Um, so, uh, so essentially once we raise another fund and you then have a term sheet with your LPs, Mm. um, and the term sheet says, who are the general partners of this fund? And you have to commit usually in your term sheet that the GPs are, full-time, 100% on this thing, and putting in their own money to the fund. And so, you know, before taking that step, um, where, you know, I'm really putting in my own money into the fund, and we're signing up for the next 10 years together, um, right now, I am helping to invest out of our current fund before we raise our next fund. And then when you raise your next fund, then that's like a whole other... Yeah, that's the that's the ten year commitment. Right. And you know, when you're making a ten year commitment and you're forty two, then you'll be fifty two. <laughs> and this is how it works. And like who wants to change jobs again when you're fifty two? Like I really want to be sure that when I'm doing this, this is like the rest of my life job. Wow. Yeah. That's a commitment. Well, I mean my husband always says like live lightly. 
Yeah. Like, not just about this. I mean, I, we were, I was all stressed about moving to LA. And he's like, we're not moving to China. Like, we're moving to LA. Yeah. Live lightly. Just yeah. pack up the bags. Let's go. And it's reversible. Yeah. So you, you kind of talked to a few funds. What, what sets, like, are the funds kind of generally the same? Are yeah. they different? Like, I think, I mean, I, I think I, um, had the best job, ended up with the best job in LA. I was very pleased with that, of course. Um, so the funds are different. Um, and, and I, I liked everyone. And let me just start by saying LA was the most welcoming and they're super collaborative. One thing that just, I hadn't been on the inside of VCs, so I hadn't thought about this so much, but a lot of times in a series A, you have one lead who is putting in a majority of your series A, your series B, your series C right? And that one lead is yeah, like a large majority. And then there's people taking their pro rata from previous rounds and stuff. Um, but in the seed round, there's almost all of the deals we do. We are co-investing with others. And so we'll like a typical seed might be a $2 million seed where we're writing a 750 K check. And so we are co-investing with everyone. And so there's a lot of value of all of the seed investors being friends with each other because if we're leading around and we're really excited about an entrepreneur, we need to then be able to call up our buddies and say, do you want to co-invest with us? And we need to have um, a good relationship with other potential co-investors so that they think, oh, you know, Minnie and David at 10110, they do really good due diligence. Like 10110 is coming to us. They have a great reputation. They're going to really help this entrepreneur. Um, they've done their diligence. They're going to be really helpful. So if Minnie or David is going to be, or Austin or whoever is going to be sitting on the board of this company, we feel more confident in putting in our 750K or whatever check they're going to write. So, so I think that also made it just like a very collaborative experience, which uh, I hadn't quite gotten, um, all of that before. So, um, so I'll just start by saying it was like super collaborative and everyone was really eager to like, you know, be, be helpful and make other introductions. Um, that said, I think that, you know, the number of partners in a fund or just the number of people around the table. So not just partners, but associates and principals, um, affect things a, a large amount. So, you know, if you've got 25 people at the fund, it just feels a lot different. And there's a lot more making sure that processes are kind of getting followed. And, you know, uh, you're not making a decision on your own. You're making a decision that 24 other people are probably aware of and, and need to be bought in to some degree. Whereas, uh, 10, 1, 10 is, it's, it's really primarily me, David and Austin and Gil and Aton are both, um, quite involved, but, but they're not full time doing 10, 1, 10, the way David Austin and I are. So, so it's really getting to know David and Austin or getting to know the other people that are part of the fund and making sure that you're aligned on what sort of thing they want to do. And, and one of the biggest parts of that as well is not just the people, it's also the portfolio. So like if, if David and Austin and 10, 1, 10 were primarily, um, a D to C, uh, e-commerce celebrity branded e-commerce play. And that were a lot of their investments. 
there's a lot in LA that, that people understand like how to build a brand. We are not really brand builders. That's not our primary core DNA. And if it was, it might not be a great fit for me. Um, because fundamentally I'm an engineer, I'm a computer science person. Um, and I understand where someone's moat is, is their engineering much better than I understand if your moat is your brand. So, so joining a fund so that likes is, to, yeah. So what's your, like, what is your type of fund? Well, the reason that I joined was that Gil and David and, and Austin, they're all, and, and Aton, they are all engineers turned entrepreneurs who have started their own businesses. Um, and so like a mini. Yeah, no, there's a lot. I mean, we're very different personality wise, but in terms of our background, yeah. it's very aligned on, Hey, we like engineers who are building software moats. Um, and, and now are turned entrepreneurs. So David, I'll just give you David's background. Cause I love it. David has started three companies. So he's been like for a long time, he has been an entrepreneur decades and decades. He's been an entrepreneur. One of his companies, he took public one of his companies. He sold for a very good exit to Microsoft. And one of his companies like went down in flames, crashed and burned. And it's like the best background because he, he's so knowledgeable at all stages of a company, but he's also still humble. Yeah. He doesn't think like, Oh, anyone can do this. He's not like a easy. Yeah. Not at all. And, and so I, I really like that background. Okay. So if I'm like, um, an engineer, I'm like a new engineer in LA, I have an idea. Like, how do I, like, what do I do? Like, you know, well, I mean, kind of like what we did at shift, which is you've got an idea. You can build the most basic necessary thing, but there's a lot of ways of getting proof points. So what we did at shift was we said, we've got this idea about selling, buying and selling cars and we could make it better. Let's start by buying and selling cars ourselves. Like, you know, you can start doing something, um, without really even needing to build all that much. And then you can show that your idea has some traction, and you can show that by just doing things pretty manually, right? So you can post and post a car on Craigslist and see whether anyone, you know, is interested in buying it. Um, you can do the same with apps that you launch and you can, you know, launch Kickstarters. You can do things that sort of show that, Hey, there is an appetite from people. If this product existed, you can pre- get pre-orders. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so getting some proof that it's not just an idea that there's actually some like that there's a pain point here that people are interested. Like there's something beyond just your N of one. Um, and then you come talk to us. Like it's, it's a pretty, um, like I have a female founder office hours right now. Um, David does office hours too, which is, I don't even need to read your deck in order for someone to sign up for office hours with me. Mm-hmm. It's a, if anyone wants 30 minutes, they can email founders at 10110.net like, and get 30 minutes, um, which is the, the session you just walked into was just a, a a mentorship thing. Um, and, but generally, you know, generally we get a lot of inbound email, but it's usually better if it comes from someone we know. So, you know, getting a random LinkedIn request is not all that interesting, but having, you know, having someone who, you know, they're recently graduated from Caltech and they know that I'm teaching class at Caltech. So they reach out to the whoever professor that they've had that th- thinks they're a superstar. And then a professor reaches out to me and says, this was one of my superstar students. You should talk to him. Uh, great. Great. So that's like usually more of context about why. Yeah. Yeah. Or that they've made the effort. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's almost like you can make an effort. It's not that hard to get to me. So the fact that you're just sending me a, a LinkedIn thing now, I mean, 
th- that's hard. Like, there's a lot of entrepreneurs who are not in California who are trying to get a start. And I, and but I still think you can find a little bit like, hey, I listened to your podcast. I know you're interested in marketplaces. I know you're interested in people who have proprietary data. That's a big focus of our funds. We've had a lot of good. Um, good portfolio companies that have like proprietary data as a moat. Mm. Like, I know you're interested in that. I've said it a couple times. Now you can like, I'm not a super private person. So like you find something, you have something that matches some of our interests. You can look at our portfolio companies, reach out to one of the founders of our portfolio company and say, I'm building something similar and get an introduction that way. Like there's ways of being creative. And if you're not kind of creative enough to find a warm ish introduction, it might be, a little bit of a sign that you don't know how to get creative. Right. And it's also a skill you need for future yes. rounds and just entrepreneurship in general. It's like you need to find that person, that unique person that can help you, and you need to figure out a way to get to that person. Yeah. And so this is a, um, just a miniature version of that. Yeah. In the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. What, um, so you get a seed round first and how do you guys interact with the rest of the V like the later stage yeah. in LA? Um, I was just telling Manish, uh, who, you know, he's at Highland. He led our series A at shift. Yeah. I was just saying, Manish, let me tell you about what, like what's great in our portfolio. Um, because, uh, a lot of times, a, a lot of the things that we do bring is I have some knowledge of what different VCs say in the Valley or in LA are looking for in the leader stages. And so mm-hmm. we can really help our entrepreneurs and be like, well, you've got a million dollars, but you know, I think before you raise your A, you should really try to double that or triple that. And, you know, let's set some milestones. And I think if you can get to, you know, two, three million ARR, uh, I think that Highland's going to really like this because I know Manish has been looking at the logistics space or whatever. And so helping coach them on what milestones they need to know meet, and then also helping them navigate who at... Um, who at the different funds cares about healthcare or cares about logistics. And, and, and I think that we have a good ability. We have, at this point, all of us have been in this business long Mm -hmm. enough that we have some good Rolodex of knowing just who's who. Um, and you can do some of that also just by looking at what they're investing in, but it helps to know the people. So we're, we make introductions all the time. Um, and then do you stay involved in like later stages or is it like you invest in seed, you introduce to the A and then you kind of, um, become less involved. Yeah. I'd say we do become less involved. Um, but, uh, but we often will, we reserve about like half of our fund for follow on investment. So we try to maintain our ownership through the A. So, um, so, you know, through the A, we're still quite involved, but at some point businesses are scaling. They've got different board of directors. We often are not on the board once they're raising their, their series B or something. So, you know, at that point, uh, hopefully they've graduated and they have new mentors who are really good at, at sort of getting them from the series B to the C to the IPO. Interesting. Done, right? Yeah. What do you think you know now that you think will change after being a VC for five years? Like that you believe now that you think will change? Ooh, I don't know. I guess I'm kind of open-minded to, to what happens. I, I, I mean, I'm still quite like personally interested, uh, with how does our society actually end up working? I think there's a lot of things that don't work in our society mm-hmm. and I remain 
very interested in seeing how our what role entrepreneurship can play in actually helping our society succeed. And I'm not very like positive. Who's really positive on our federal government right now? Not a lot of people. I worry a lot about our education system. I see a huge bright spot in our country based on entrepreneurship and um, and sort of the innovation that comes out of business. Um, American business, I feel quite strongly, is is a successful institution. Now, I think a lot of that is in the disruptive stuff that comes out of um, entrepreneurship, but what role that can play as a force for good in our society. And, I, you know, we're sitting in San Francisco right now where there's a lot of tech clash and just saying, like, tech has not been good for society. I really do believe tech is good for society, but I also don't, here's one that might change, maybe not in five years, but I'm not really, I don't really believe in capitalism per se. Like, I don't really believe in a company's uh, duty is to maximize shareholder value. I've, Mm -hmm. I've never quite got that. Like, I feel like everyone's obligation is to make the world a better place. Um, Now, I, I do believe in profits. I just think that um, that definition, that narrow definition, which is to maximize shareholder value, um, seems like it was from something multiple decades ago when business played a smaller role in society. Oh, interesting. And, and so now that places like Google and Facebook, um, have become our source of news and our source of friendship. It's just, we have to reimagine and redefine. Like it can't be that if, if Facebook is or Instagram or wherever is like the way that I interact or the way that I learn is through the internet, like through these companies, I think they have a bigger role than just to maximize shareholder value. Yeah. Uh, and I think maybe they didn't when it was really Levi's jeans was about selling you jeans and making a profit doing so or something. It was just where you got your jeans. It wasn't also where you learned morality or watched the, the, right. the or filtered your worldview. Yeah. Saw the terrorist attacks stream. Like there's just, so I think that's going to change. I think we're going to rethink what business means. And I, and I think we're already doing that, but right. I, I'm interested to see how that shapes up in five and so what would the right measure be? Or like, what do you think uh, a more less capitalistic focused measure of companies objective should be? Well, at one point, Patrick Pichette, who is the CFO at Google, at one point he said, um, we were trying to do something that didn't have any profits. It was just a cost drain. And he said, think about Google as half public company and half movement. And that's how I want you to approach your work. And like, it summarizes it really well for me. That is how I think we should think about things. But I think there'll be more codifying of what that really, mm. uh, what that really means from how we run businesses, report our metrics. Like right now, when we report metrics, we only report, you know, our our P and L. Right. Uh, and I think actually. Maybe if on a quarterly basis we were also reporting on some of the softer stuff somehow or setting up some way of that being more baked in. Um, how, do you, how do you quantify that, like, movement piece? Yes. Interesting. Great. So now we're going to have, like, quarterly analyst calls that are, like, all touchy-feely. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, and you'll be investing in the companies that will be um, measured on this, right? Yeah. Yeah, I really want to invest. I mean, world positive is something I often talk about, but yeah. I'd really rather invest in, in solving problems for the bottom half of society rather than the top half of society. Mm-hmm. I look forward to it, many. Um, it was really nice to chat with you. I like that we've redefined capitalism. Yes, me too. <laughs> okay, thanks. Until next time. <laughs> Great, bye. Bye.